He gets it. He gets it. Yeah, he doesn't come to take, he comes to give. So this morning, some of you have received from him. You've received the the joy of salvation. You've received forgiveness for your sins. You've received the Holy Spirit of God. You've received the congregation. You've received the Word of God. And our only posture before this is one of gratitude. Thank you, Lord. So, let's go before Him right now and thank Him. Lord God, we thank You. We thank You for the gift of Your Son. We thank You for Your Son's gift of His life to us. We thank You for the gift of forgiveness. Let me back up, Lord. We thank you that you're, you've given us the gift of a good king to rule and to reign over this world. We live in a world where there are no good kings. Our governance is always led astray. It's uh, subject to bribery. It uses deceit and exploits people. And you've given us a good king. You've given us a king who doesn't take, but who gives. Think about Samuel describing how kings would be in Israel. And he said, your kings will take from you and take from you and take from you. And Jesus comes in with the new kingdom. And it's because he is king, because he is Lord, because he is sovereign over heaven and earth that he can issue forgiveness when we come short, Lord. And it's because he is a good king and he's merciful that he he delights in issuing forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for those who've received forgiveness, the Holy Spirit of God, partnership and membership in our local body, your word, your life, and your love. For those who've not yet received, that which Christ has on offer. May today their hearts be enlightened, their minds opened. Might the truth of who Jesus is 
truth of who you are. Move them to come and fall before Him. Surrendering all allegiance to any other authority and submitting themselves to the authority of Jesus, which is, a, as he says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Uh, might they come to Jesus and receive from him rescue, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit of God. I pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. Um, this week I've heard a couple stories that were pretty profound and moving. Um, one, my sister Angie shared with me, it was a podcast of a, an author, a very famous author. Y'all uh, might have heard of a movie or, or, or read the book, uh, A Fault in uh, the Stars. Uh, if you haven't, that's because you're not a young adult. Uh, he is a young adult uh, author, but that was a very uh, popular movie in the uh, early 2000s. Y- y'all remember way back then, right? Uh, early 2000s. Um, and interesting thing about this author is he only became an author after he decided to leave his call to go to seminary. Divinity school. Which was, which accompanied his decision to leave the faith. See, what happened was whenever he was a young man and he was on this trajectory to become uh, an ordained minister, he was um, served as a chaplain in a hospital. He was like 21 years old, and he was given the burn unit. And he said uh, it was already weighing on him. He was reading C.S. Lewis's uh, Grief Observed, and he was wrestling with just the, what he was seeing, the atrocities of what he was seeing. And, and his faith, and how could a merciful God allow these things to happen? And, and here's the deal, you might have that question, and, and I'm not the type of pastor that gets up here and says, don't you ask that question of God, here's what I would invite you to do. I would invite you to open yourself up to God and say, God, I don't understand. And that you should know that our God is patient, and he's gentle, and he's kind, and he doesn't say, how dare you question me? He comes and he says, let me show you the reality of things. And the reality of things, as I see it, is that there is sin and there's brokenness and there's trauma and there's atrocity and there is disease and cancer. And there are people who exploit other people. There are people who take advantage of people across the spectrum financially, uh, emotionally, sexually. Uh, They abuse people. And none of those things are things that God wants. And none of those things are things that God authors. But 
But there are things that an enemy wants. And there are things that you and I are susceptible to not only endure, but to afflict. Because you and I get deceived by things. You and I sometimes uh, can't see the forest through the trees, if you will. Think about what happened two nights ago, World, this rap music festival here in Houston, Texas. And eight people were trampled to death. We told my son about this the other, uh, yesterday, and he was mad, so angry. Why, why wouldn't they just stop? And I said, they, weren't, they don't see what they're doing ahead of them. And that's so much what happens when we are selfish and self-serving. We don't see the effects of our decisions. But the reason why these things happen is not because of God. And I would ultimately say they happen because you and me. We do these things. And it's easy to say, how dare you, God, that this stuff happens whenever it's happening to you. But we have to take ownership. And here's what I also know is that our God is not satisfied. He's not going like, this is exactly how I want things to be. Our God is working in this world against those things. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. And before he sent Jesus, uh, you have a long line of prophets. You have a long line of people who know God's character and who he's trying to make his character known to. But then ultimately he sends Jesus and then Jesus sends his church. It's why we have to be the people that look like Jesus. We can't just be the people that say, yeah, I trust in Jesus. We have to be the people who embody love and generosity and hospitality and humility. Anyways, he had those questions. And then a four-year-old boy was brought in with 80% of his body had been burned. And this guy's 21 years old. He sees this four-year-old come in and everybody's seasoned doctors are losing, are losing their wits over this. And they're saying he's not going to make it. And he goes home that night and he comes back and the boy is gone. And he assumes that the boy has died, but he doesn't know. And then he goes and he turns in his resignation from the chaplaincy and then resigns from pursuing his ordination in seminary and he begins to start to write for a local paper and ultimately becomes a novelist. But what happened is from that time until just this year, He's prayed for that boy every day. Even whenever he's gone, like, I don't even know if you exist and if you're a real God. I, if it, like, if you are there, I want you to be with this boy and his family. I don't know what happened. I don't even know if he's alive. It just became something that he clung on to. And uh, with the advent of internet and social media, he knew that he could probably find out about this boy. 
if he made it. He, he said the family had a very unique last name. That's a good thing about having a unique last name, like Deveskavi or Hudiki and Fura, right? It also can get you in trouble, though, right? I don't know everybody that was there, but there was this Deveskavi girl. Um, did that ever happen to you, I'm sure? That's right. That's right. It was Luke. <laughs> but he couldn't bring himself to look, look it up. But he continued to pray for this, this kid every night. He said, actually, he said, in fact, he said, like, I would pray for him probably. I probably prayed for him more than I have my own children. So then there's this podcast. And... Um, he shares the story with the podcast host and the podcast kind of reunites people like after long periods of time, like, you know, kind of just these, it's an interesting concept, but it's like, you know, you, you had this encounter and, and it had an effect on your life, but it's like somebody that you don't have regular life with. And so it just kind of sticks in your brain. Y'all have all had those kind of encounters. Um, anyways, so the podcast says, well, we could, you know, would you be willing for us to connect y'all and have a conversation with y'all? Comes to find out that the little boy did not die that night. Uh, the little boy is no longer a little boy. He's a 24-year-old man. He's a 24-year-old man who has a deep faith in Jesus. And interestingly enough, the thing that that affected one guy's faith negatively is the thing that affected the others, the other family positively. He said, really, he said, if we go back, it was that accident changed the trajectory of my family's life. Like they had believed and you know, kind of went to church here and there, but they they were driven and moved, first of all, to prayer, pleading just for their son's life. And they had got to have this conversation, and, and John, the one who, who, who left the faith, he was like, how, how is it that you endure through all of this? And he said, you know, he said, all I can say is that there's, and anything that's very destructive, there's also, I've seen this potential for great change and for great newness. And he's like, in Nick, the little boy, he said, you know, I, I just, I see that that's God working in that. And he says, I'm not going to lie, it's not like easy all the time. He says, I have constant pain. I've had hundreds of surgeries. But his faith is deeply rooted in God. And, and, and along with this is there's this gratitude to his life. So I heard that story. And then I heard another story. Um, Tara, who goes to church here, she's a nurse. And she was talking to a, um, a, a man who's in the hospital. And, uh, and, and he was in Vietnam. And he had to um, 
his job was to remove the dead bodies off the battlefield. And she was like, he was telling her about it and how many bodies he had to remove. And it was a lot. And he said he still has nightmares about it. Still has trauma with it. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. He goes, you know, the thing is, though, I take, I, I, like, I'm grateful because I was able to, to rescue their bodies from the battlefield. And he had, like, this just sense of gratitude to him about it. Like, like there is trauma there. Uh, there are nightmares there. But I thank God that I was able to do that. And in fact, uh, he's in the hospital and his wife has Alzheimer's and they just recently had to put her in a home. And Tara was like, oh my goodness, that's so terrible. I can't believe it. And he goes, you know, he goes, I've just been sitting there thinking, I've had 63 years with my wife. And I'm thankful for that. So, these stories obviously have me thinking about gratitude. And of course this month has us all, or should have us all thinking about gratitude. And and, you know, we had done a series where we were just kind of preparing our hearts for the joy that's set before us, you know, looking at uh, some of the symbolism, but also just some of the concepts of what's going to happen whenever Jesus returns and um, and, and what are we really looking forward to? And, and, and one of the things that I always, I, I kind of want to keep pressing in is we're like, I'm not looking forward to streets of gold more than I'm looking forward to righteousness flowing down, to justice flowing through the streets. And, and I was thinking, these people have this gratitude now in the midst of all this hardness that they've experienced and that's that's remarkable it's worthy of a story right but one day we won't have all the hardness we won't be scratching and clawing against each other or be scratched and clawed we won't be in the great press like that concert the other night. Isn't that just a, like a microcosm of what our life seems to be so often? Is this just this press of people, everybody trying to get to the front. And there's casualties and collateral damage in the midst of that. There's panic and there's fear in the midst of that. So, I want us to kind of think, there's going to be a day whenever that doesn't exist. When like the... The, the fullness of the kingdom has come. And, and here's what you and I should know. The kingdom has come. Jesus is ruling and reigning. And some people go, well, well, how can he rule and reign and all this stuff go on? Well, he's ruling and reigning, but there's still hostile forces.
but he's ruling and reigning. And there are those who we claim to be who are giving him authority in our lives. Over our actions, over our deeds, over our thoughts and our motivations and the intents of what we do. And yeah, I want to see him ruling and reigning everywhere else, but, but he needs to be ruling and reigning here if I'm going to say he is Lord. And I don't need my American government to get it right. I need me to get it right. I, we, the church, need to get it right. And it would be nice if the governments of this world got it right, but they won't. They won't. And it's a futile endeavor for us to ever think that they will. But if you can imagine that there's a day where there's not going to be this hardness, and we will just simply be satisfied, content. Joyful. I can't wrap my mind around that, can you? But here's the deal. I want to prepare myself for that day. And so how do I prepare myself today while not only are there pressures from without, but there's struggle within? You know, interestingly, we, were, we looked at Hebrews a few times as we look at the, the joy that is set before us. Of course, that's where that, that statement comes from. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Hebrews talks to disciples and to Christians who, who, who have been faithful and who have all this pressure from without that is pressuring them. And Hebrews is saying, hey, we don't want you to quit. We don't want you to give up. The, the very next book of the Bible is the book of James. And James is so different. James isn't looking at pressure from without. James is looking at Pressure from within. James is looking at people who have, who have claimed Jesus as Lord. But who do not look like they are living under the authority, the leadership, the guidance, following the way of Jesus. In chapter 2, he talks about how, how, how they look just like the world. The, the world always looks at people who, who, who are wealthy with resources and whatever resource it is, with whatever context it is, but they're wealthy with resources and, and they think that they could benefit them if I'm, if I'm friends with them. And so they show partiality and particularity to people with resources. 
And whenever I say resources, we can think money. But we can also think like social capital. Right? There's some people that you just know, they don't have the social capital in a group. And so whenever you get together in a group, you don't go, ooh, I'm going to flock right to them because they're not going to get you anywhere in the group. So, I want us to think broadly about resources. When we think about wealth and poverty, things of that nature. But he says, these people come into your, your assembly, your church, and you're giving them places of honor. And you're making sure that they have everything taken care of because you think that you could benefit from them. But then he says, somebody who does not have the resources as somebody else, you don't even regard with dignity. That's a problem. And that's just to illustrate. James is not talking about the pressures that are outside of the church pressing down on the church. He's talking about the pressures from within. So James doesn't speak very nicely in this context. And so we need to be, we need to be aware of that. I mean, at one point in the, in the text that we, we're going to look at briefly here in a moment is, is he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. He's using this old prophetic way of, of talking to God's people who are not being faithful to God and his way. And he likens them to a husband who's not been faithful to his wife or a wife who's not been faithful to her husband. So, he comes down with a little heavier hand <laughs> And we just have to be, that's my trigger warning to you, right? Because I know I'm in the congregation where y'all need trigger warnings, right? But James, his whole letter is we got to clean up some stuff in here. And he talks about this idea of contentment and joy in purifying ourselves or readying ourselves, preparing ourselves for the day of joy. And the text that I want to look at is begins in chapter 3, verse number 13. In chapter 3, verse number 13, he says, Who is wise and endued with knowledge among you? Who is it? Y'all raise your hand. Who's wise and endued with knowledge? Oh, I would never preach her. <laughs> Not me. All right, don't raise your hand. Who thinks you're wise and endued with knowledge? I don't think very many of you probably would say, well, not me. Really, you probably think you have a square head on your shoulders and you make good decisions. And that's why sometimes you look at somebody else making a decision that you wouldn't make and you scoff at the decision that they made. Well, that's dumb. That's foolish. James says, 
Whoever is wise and endued with knowledge should not boast about it. Should not be braggadocious about it. Should not be trying to be front teaching everybody, I have something to say. He said these people should show out of a good conversation, out of a good lifestyle, good way of living, their works with meekness and wisdom. But, James says, if you have bitter envying and strife, that word for strife could be the word for selfish ambition. If you have envy and strife or selfish ambition in your heart, he says, do not glory in this. Do not lie against the truth. Don't try to cover it up with brags and boasts or lies. He says, this wisdom descends not from above. It doesn't come from above, but it is earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish or demonic. He says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So I want us to think about this. Where does contentment lie? You can't have contentment where there is envying and strife. Where you're looking at things and you're going, I don't have that and they have that and I'm mad at them for having it. And it's just not right that they have all those things. Here's the deal. It might not be right that they have all those things. But what does God want out of our heart? Does he want us living out of that? Where do those things come from? Is that Jesus' way? Does Jesus live a life in which we see him all the time filled with envy, strife, selfish ambition? He says, where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. out of these qualities. The wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceful, gentle, and easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality. It's without hypocrisy. It is good and gentle and meek to everyone. Period. No partiality. I'm not going to be nice to you because you were nice to me. I'm going to be nice to you, period. I'm not going to do for you because you can do for me. I'm going to do for you, period. I'm not going to not have envy in my heart for you because I like you, but this other person I'm going to have envy in my heart for because I don't like them. It is this way. It is Pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Easy. Easy to be sought after. And it is this way without hypocrisy, without partiality, without hypocrisy. It's the fruit of righteousness sown in peace. Of them that make peace. What this produces is peace. 
Speaking of peace, chapter 4 says, but where do wars come from? Where do wars and fightings come from? Come they not from your lust that war in your members. You lust, you desire stuff or resources. And think about that broadly. It's not just stuff that you desire. You desire somebody's personality. Everybody loves them. Nobody, nobody says those nice things to me. They always have something going on. I never have anything going on. You de- we desire so much. And, and it would be easy if we're just like, hey, don't go desire a new car. If that were the worst thing that we did, okay. But it's not. Like I said, we desire people's personality. We desire people to, to, to love us the way that they love other people. We desire people's respect. And there's a whole bunch of different things that will get to get people's respect. Some of us go the low route and, and some of us go like, oh, I'm going to get the respect and I'm going I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pour myself out for them. But you're not pouring it out for them. You're pouring it out to get their respect, right? And some of us do the other thing. Well, uh, I'm going to get everybody's respect because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand here and I'm going to be above everybody. And they better come to me and, you know, respect me. So it's not just stuff. Resources broadly. He says, you want these things. You desire after them. And he says, so what do you do? You kill and you desire to have, but you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not because you ask not. And you go, well, I didn't fight in war. I just talked bad about them behind their back. You did our way of war. I wanted everybody else to see my side of it. And I wanted everybody to see that they were the enemy and that they were wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. You did. You waged war on a brother or sister or somebody who's not a brother or sister who's just a fellow human being. Somebody that you were supposed to love without partiality, without hypocrisy. And he says, you fight and you war, you don't even go to God and ask him for these things. And then he says, even if you go to God and ask him, you're asking wrongly because all you want to do is devour these things. They're only for your own selfish, ambitious, selfish, desiring, self-serving needs, wants. They're not in service of anybody. You're, you're part of the group pressing towards the front of the stage and people are panicking and people can't breathe and people are getting knocked over and you don't care. God, give me, give me, give me. Now James comes in and this is why we can see he says, you adulterers and adulterers, adulteresses. 
You who are supposed to be loyal to God, following the way of Christ, you are being unfaithful if you are doing these things. Then he says, don't you know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? If you're, if you're following the way that is earthly, uh, devilish, it's, it's, you're being our enemy with God. So he says, do you think that the scripture saith in vain that the spirit in us lusteth to envy? That's not talking about the Holy Spirit. That's talking about our, our spirit. It lusts to envy. But guess what? God gives more grace. God resists the proud. He gives grace unto the, to the humble. So here's what he says. Here's the resolution for all of this. How do we get to this place where we can prepare our hearts to be content, where we can prepare our hearts for that day in which we will only know joy? How do we prepare our hearts for that? He says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a big one. Very, very interesting. All the devil needs you to do is say no. Just say no. Just oppose him. Just challenge him. When he comes with an accusatory thought, do you think that God would love you if he gave them all that stuff? All those resources and he didn't give them to you? Shut up. My God loves me. And he proved his love for me on Calvary. I don't need his love to be proved to me by having all the resources that that person has. That is not God's definition of loving me. God so loved me by giving his son Jesus and by giving me salvation and eternal life. That's how God loved me, enemy. Get out of my face. You can spit at the devil. It's hard to resist the devil though, isn't it? It sounds easy. We can all do it here. It says, draw nigh to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. In the Old Testament, when they would come into the temple, they had traveled dusty roads and they had touched all sorts of things that were quote-unquote unclean. Unclean doesn't mean un, unrighteous. It just means it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't, hadn't been consecrated and purified for temple service. And, and, and so they came in and, and before they went into the temple courts, what they would do is they would wash their hands and, and, and they would pure, they would cleanse their hands because they're about to come into a, a, a consecrated, a purified place. So everything had been cleansed for the service of the Lord. It had been, it had been set aside and set apart to be in service of the Lord. And what they would do is they would wash their hands not only symbolically, but also practically to say, I need to cleanse my hands. But what happened and what we find out, and Jesus points this out, is sometimes they would be so worried about cleansing their hands and they got the work of cleansing their hands down, right? We know how to clean our hands now, COVID, right? How long are we supposed to clean our hands? 
20 seconds at least. How many of y'all do that? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Y'all know? We know how to cleanse our hands. And what happened was they were worried about doing the thing, the act of cleaning their hands, but their hearts were not pure. So James is very clear about this. He says, not only do you have to clean up your hands, stop doing the things that you're doing like gossiping and slandering or, or, or being deceitful in a business deal because you're going to get some more money if you just don't say everything. Or jacking up the price so that you can have some more profits. He says, don't just stop doing those things. He says, actually purify your heart too. Get envy and strife out of your heart. A lot of you don't know that other, others amongst you gossip because they don't gossip with you. And they might not even gossip about you, but they have people that they'll gossip with. Right? Don't we? And the thing is, and sometimes we go, well, I, I was in that scenario and I didn't gossip. I cleansed my hands, but our hearts still have all that envy, all that strife going on. And so I didn't do it with them, but I'm going to do it with this person that I trust. And what a fun conversation. Delightful, isn't it? So life-giving whenever we just run somebody under the bus. Talk about all the ways that they hurt me. I love this song by Dawes, uh, Dawes the Band. Um, it says, uh, you know, it says, I can go on talking or I can stop. Um, he, he says, you can go on talking or you can stop. He says, you could just ring out every uh, last memory. Uh, of all the ways that they've hurt you. Are we just going to keep going on about it? And then the chorus, and I just butchered the lyrics, by the way, if y'all couldn't tell. But then the chorus says, um, things happen, that's all they ever do. And I love it because it's just like... Can we just stop whining and complaining about all the ways that we've been hurt? Now, here's what I would say. You have been hurt and your trauma and your hurt is real. Go to our Lord. And if you go to somebody, go to them seeking the healing and the recovery and the ministry of the Lord, not seeking to hurt and harm and traumatize others. So he says, cleanse your hands. He says, purify your hearts. He says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. I want you to really think about what this causes and what this creates. What envy and strife, selfish ambition does. And I want you to think deeply about it and hate it and grieve it and mourn it. Let your laughter be turned to sorrow. We cannot laugh about these things. We can't scoff at them.
Let your joy be turned to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Come before the Lord and say, God, I have envy in my heart and I'm not going to lie about it. I have lustful, vain, selfish desires in my heart and I'm not going to pretend and I'm not just going to excuse it and say, well, God will forgive me. I'm going to come before you, God, going, I am deeply, deeply grieved. And here's what I would say. What can actually grieve you is not just having these desires in your heart, but how have I acted on these desires? What has that done? I took somebody's name and I vilified it and I demonized it to other people who would normally love that person because they hurt me. God, I'm grieved over that. I took one of your people who your son Jesus laid down his life for. And I took advantage of them for my own, my own brief satisfaction. I'm grieved over that. We come before God like that and James doesn't say you pick yourself up by your bootstraps. He says you come before God and God, you give God the opportunity to minister and say I know, I saw, I watched. And guess what? It grieved my heart too. But remember this, I sent my son Jesus because I knew you would do things like that. And I knew envy and strife, selfish ambition is in your heart. And and, and I know this about you. I know that as much as you want those things not to be there, they're there far too often. And I sent my son because If it were up to you to rescue yourself and to get over that, you couldn't do it. So I sent my son in your place to do the work that you could not do. He's been faithful to the very end. He lived a life without envy and selfish ambition. And look what I did for him. The world killed him and I raised him on the third day and he is an authority. And guess what my son has done? He has sent his spirit, the same spirit that made him able to resist the devil is in you. And I know you think you are weak and you you have no power and no authority against envy, but you do. You do have authority and power. You can stand against the wiles of the devil. You can stand against your own flesh, your own lust, your own desires, because I put my spirit within you. And the same spirit that made Jesus faithful to the end is going to make you faithful to the end. And you get up with God's lifting you up. And you can walk. Not needing 
everything that everybody else, all the stuff, all the resources. You can walk without envy, strive, selfish ambition because you've been reminded you've been given everything that is necessary for salvation and for you to follow the way of Jesus and to bring peace to this world. Or the way of Jesus which brings peace to this world. And so you go out and you live satisfied as one day you know you will be satisfied without that envy. You go out and you are ready, able, and equipped to say, shut up, stupid devil. Stop lying to me. I have all that I need in Christ. (sighs) Yeah, that's it. We need to be deeply grieved over these things humbled before the Lord and let the Lord speak to us and raise us up so that we can live today prepared and readying ourselves for that day. And with that I say, Amen. I'm going to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes this morning and uh, we, this might be the time that we become deeply grieved Deeply sorrowful over the envy, strife, selfish ambition that's in our heart. Maybe, maybe you don't even know where it's at. Maybe you just need to go, God, I know it's there. I, I can't identify it. I can't put my finger on it fully. So God, I need, I need you to show me more. Maybe... Maybe you know it's there, but you, 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 you've kind of been lying about the effects that it's had in your life. We do that sometimes. Sometimes we, 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 we just, we deny that there's been consequences to these actions. And so maybe you need to say, God, show me, show me where this has affected my, my, my relationship with you and my relationship with others. And today would be a day that you could just come before the Lord and you could say, okay, God, I know I need to cleanse my hands and purify my heart. And I'm humbling myself before you. And you're seeking him right now. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never receive the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit of God. And today you would say, you know what? I, I want to I follow Jesus. I want to commit my life to Him. If that's you, I would invite you while Brother Mitch plays softly. I would invite you to come and talk to me um, down here. If anybody else has any other need for prayer, I will be down here. But let me pray over us and then I'm going to have you enter into a time where you are praying with the Lord. Maybe you need to pray with somebody else. Wrap your arm around them and pray with them. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I pray and I ask that you would be with us today. Lord, help us not to put off till tomorrow what we could do right now. Might we come before you seeking 
to cleanse our hands and to purify our hearts. Might we come before you humbly? And Lord, my prayer is, is that as we come before you humbly, you will do the work to raise us up. To equip us with what we need so that we can walk out of here in strength against, the, uh, against envy and strife, against vain desires, Lord, I pray. I pray that you'd be with each and every one of us. I pray that you would receive all of our prayers. In Christ's name, I pray. Brother Mitch is going to begin singing our closing song to, in just a minute. and uh, As he does, if, if you're ready to join him in the song, join him in the song. If you're still praying, don't let even me interrupt you right now. You continue praying. Um, before he sings, I do want to give a couple words of announcement. Let's continue praying for Miss Kim Van Akron. She's still in the hospital, uh, hoping to go home today, waiting to hear back from her cardiologist. Miss Peggy Rigby is undergoing some testing right now um, that we just need to be in prayer for as well. Uh, she goes to the doctor on Friday. Uh, Brother Herb Toombs is still in the hospital after his heart attack. He's going to be running, they've been running tests and he's going to continue running tests. So we need to keep him in prayer as well. And then, um, Brother John Epperson has some um, some Christmas decor, and uh, it's free for anybody who needs it or wants it. And um, if you um, are interested in in uh, in that, maybe for yourself or for some others, um, Brother John Epperson's going to be uh, hanging out by the glass doors, and y'all can get connected, uh, exchange numbers, and set up a time that y'all can get together so that you can go uh, do an American Picker style on John Epperson's house. And so uh, with that, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would just be with us, receive our prayers, meet with us 
not only now, but also in the coming days, Lord, and help us to stay faithful. Help us to be the people who follow the wisdom that is from above, that is pure, that is peaceable, that is gentle, that's easy to be entreated. The the wisdom that produces the fruit of righteousness, Lord. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.